In 2 Kings 18, we have the story of Elijah, uh, Elisha who, who goes up on Mount Carmel and has a, a moment where uh, he is just amazingly used by the Lord. Uh, it's one of my, my favorite stories in the Old Testament. The sarcasm just drips off of this story. As uh, Remember, Israel had been in a drought for, for years. And uh, so there, there was, he agreed to this test with the, the prophets of Baal versus the prophets of God. I mean, in my mind, I can hear, you know, smack down uh, BC 2012 kind of thing. It's like, you can, you'll have to buy the whole seed, but you'll only need the edge. I mean, it, I could just picture it in my mind, them coming together and the, the prophets of Baal getting their altar, and they start praying to their, the God Baal, and nothing happens. And Elijah stand, Elisha's just standing there, uh, doesn't just let that go. He starts mocking them. Well, maybe, maybe he's busy. Maybe you should get louder. Maybe he's gone to the potty. Maybe you should cut yourself to get his attention. And the, the, Elijah just completely pokes and prods and has fun with it. And then when it's his turn, again, there's been a drought for, for three years. So he says, bring me some water. And so I'm sure there are people are looking around, they find water, he, and then he digs a ditch around the outside of the altar. And then he has them pour that water over, over the altar. And then he prays to God, God, so that all these people will know that there's a God and He reigns in Israel. I pray that you consume this sacrifice. And fire comes down from heaven. Woof! And the Bible says that the, the flames actually licked up the water and evaporated all the water around the edge. What a moment for God to be glorified. And then he takes a sword and kills all the prophets of Baal. I mean, this is just victory after victory. And then Ahab's, he finds out that Ahab's wife, Jezebel, has said, that she's going to have him killed, and he is depressed and despondent. He actually goes off to the mountain of the Lord, and the Bible says that he uh, laid down under a tree, and in his prayer, he is literally suicidal. He says, God, just take, take my life. Just a few days ago, he was standing there before the prophets of Baal, before the children of Israel, and he was used by God for this great victory. And here, just a few days later, he's curled up under a tree praying for God to kill him. And the angel of the Lord comes, cooks him some cake, wakes him up, lets him eat some cake, tells him to go back to sleep, which tells me that it's biblical that... Cake and sleep will fix just about everything. He wakes up again. The angel feeds him some more cake. We, we, we know the story. As we look through the armor of God that we need to participate with, the armor of God that God has given us to provide for us for our daily battles, we come to the helmet of salvation. The text is very simple. To understand in the middle of him saying, Put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, uh, against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
And he talks, first of all, about putting on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The enemy will attack us The enemy will lie to you, the enemy will whisper in your ear, and the protection for your thoughts is in that helmet. Helmet covers your head. The uh, helmet that that Paul would have been talking about would have covered their head, and then it would have had two metal flaps that were attached by leather that would have protected their ears. It would have been made to where it was, was made to where any sword blows that came in would have glanced off. And this is what we're talking about. What we see in Elisha here is what it's protecting us from. That the enemy's going to attack us. The enemy's going to whisper in your ear and lie to you. The enemy's going to tell you that you've got to fix things. And the helmet, you notice, is not something that we're doing. The helmet is the helmet of salvation. We know this is the armor of God, so this is God's salvation. Now, there's, when, when people talk about doubt and despondency in, in regards to salvation, I have two different responses. When, when somebody comes to me and says, I'm doubting my salvation, on the one hand, that can be very healthy. The Bible tells us to examine yourselves daily that you're in the faith. We're supposed to look at our life and say, am I bearing the fruit that comes from a life that God has changed? I believe with everything in me, and I believe that the Bible teaches fully that if you can live your life doing whatever you want to and you're happy, you really need to check your salvation. Christians, when they're living in sin, are miserable. God does not let us just go do whatever we want to, and we're okay with that. On the other hand, we are participant in the salvation, but it's God's salvation. I think I've shared some with the story. I had a lady who, uh, it's the same lady that I told the story from who, who I had witnessed her for a long time. She ended up going off to Cape Canaveral Baptist Church on Christmas Day and getting saved in Florida. And uh, I didn't get to participate in that. She came back and, and I got to baptize her and got to start discipling her. And uh, she had been very excited about her faith and, and she uh, came to my office one day and and I, I'm sitting there, and she said, I, I don't think I, I can do this Christian thing. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she, she said that um, when she was in her 20s, um, her husband, she was thinking that they were going to get divorced. She found out that she was pregnant. Um, she had gone and gotten an abortion and had never told her husband that she had done that. That was a secret that was between her and God. Um, and she said, I've, I've sinned so bad that there's no way that God can forgive me of that. And I said, turn to Romans chapter 8 and read the first verse to me out loud. Actually, I, when she first said it, she was crying, desperately crying. And I was sitting behind my desk and I just sat there uh, because I'm an idiot. And my wife heard what was going on and because the 
it was being a lady, the door was, was open, and Anne immediately walked in, never asked her what the issue was, and just started hugging her. And I'm like, oh yeah, that thing, yes. Um, wait, yes, you win. Uh, once everything had calmed down, I got her to read Romans 8.1, which says, There is, therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I said, Brick, does it say there's some condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Does it say for the really bad sins, there's some? If Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, and we violate that daily, we commit the greatest sin daily with every beat of our heart for something more than we long for God, we commit the greatest, most heinous sin we can In the light of that, this sin that you're talking about, it is wicked, it is heinous. But it was, the punishment for that was met out on Jesus on the cross. It's been paid for. And that's God's salvation. It's not something that you've earned. That's the beautiful side of that. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is, Christ, is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's God's promise. Thank you, Lord, that it's not dependent on my faithfulness. If it was dependent on my faithfulness, I could never be saved. I'm never going to be faithful. My fidelity is going to break down often. But God's going to be faithful and do exactly what he said he would do. And so our salvation, when the enemy comes against us, when the enemy starts reminding us of the sins that we've committed, when the enemy reminds us that we're wicked, when the enemy reminds us that we're weak, when the enemy says you can't do it, we have the greatest answer of all, you're absolutely right, which is why I need a Savior. I don't need a buddy I don't need a homeboy. I don't need somebody to come help me be better. I need a savior. If I'm drowning in the ocean and the Coast Guard shows up, they're not going to show me and teach me how to swim. That's not their job at that moment. Their job at that moment is to get me out of the water so I don't drown. Salvation is exactly like that. God comes and saves us. I think it was Billy Graham that said, the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And so if God is the one who does the work, then God's the one who's going to keep us. God's the one who's going to make sure that we become transformed to his image. Which is why, if you go back to the first thing that I said, that Christians can't go along just doing whatever they want to do. God won't let them. I went for six or seven years living like an idiot. I was angry at God. I, you know, I, I, Everybody in here, I'm sure, has heard the story. I, I had gone to Samford to uh, prepare to be a minister. I uh, got hurt there. Um, I, I know this is hard to believe, but sometimes people in the church can hurt other Christians. Um, but I got hurt, and I got angry, and I ran from God. 
And my parents knew exactly what I was doing, that I was sneaking around drinking, that I was hanging out with people that I shouldn't. And so they tried to correct me. And I, you know what? I was sick and tired of people telling me what to do. So I joined the Marine Corps. I'm going to show them. And uh, I, I didn't think that all the way through. <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Um, and so I ran from God. And God did several things to try to bring me back to Him, and I continued to run. Fast forward several, several years later, eight, uh, seven, eight years later, I remember being, uh, having everything that I had wanted. I had uh, uh, the farm that I had, I had dreamed about. Uh, as a little kid, I wrote a paper, what my house is going to look like when I'm grown up. And I, I read it now, and I recognize that I was really uh, re you know, I was describing my grandmother's house in Coleman, but I had bought a house very similar to that. An old white farmhouse had been built in the 19th century. I had uh, 120 acres, and I had like a four-acre pond on the property that if when I came in from work, if I had a bad day, I could just walk out and fish. There were some catfish in that thing that were probably six or seven pounds. And I could just fish all I wanted. I, could, I had cows that I could run around, and I, I, for those of you who have never been, been around cows or raised cows, there, there are a few things more relaxing to, to me at least, taking care of some critters, and, and raising cows is essentially being a grass farmer. You've got to make sure that your pastures are, are good everywhere, and, and so I, that was a great stress relief. I had that. I, I had everything that I wanted. I had a beautiful wife. I had beautiful kids. I drove a new Dodge truck. She drove a nice, fine vehicle. We had goats. It didn't get any better than that, right? I mean, my life was perfect, and it was the realization that I had everything that I had set for goals for myself, and I was still miserable, because God wasn't going to be, let me be happy in my sin. And I remember, like it was yesterday, standing and looking in my kid's room about 3 o'clock in the morning, and getting down on my knees and saying, God, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of fighting for something I'm never going to get. And just letting go. God wasn't going to let me just do what I wanted to do and be happy. I had been recreated. God had made me a new creation. This world was not my home. No matter what stuff I could stack up outside of the door, that wasn't going to satisfy me. And I have found in my life that the most satisfaction that I find as a believer is when I'm serving other people. When I'm being the hands and feet of Jesus. Because that is who God made me. And so that helmet that Paul is talking about here is something that comes from God that we have to look back. The book of Hebrews, actually I had, uh, Bob's not in here tonight. Bob sent me uh, an email and asked the question, doesn't the Bible tell us to forget those things that have gone behind? That's... He, so such and such, and, and a lesson was teaching that we needed to remember. So which is it? Do we need to remember or do we need to forget? And I responded back in text and said, yes, uh, we need to do both. This is too complicated to talk about in a text. I'll sit down and talk with you about it. Um, we are supposed to forget those things that have gone past in that we're not supposed to dwell on our sin. And celebrate our sin. And I've been around Christians that would do that. I've seen people get in a pulpit before and give their testimony. There was a celebration of their sinful life. It was almost like a contest to see who could say they had done the most heinous sins. 
There is certain music that I cannot listen to because it will take my mind back to some of those bad places. We forget those things. We don't look at those things longingly. We don't look at our life like, I gave this up for Jesus. Haven't I hooked you up? I've done so much for you, Jesus. Look at all this stuff that I gave up for you. That's not what the Bible's talking about. But the book of Hebrews, from chapter 6 all the way up to like chapter 10, the major theme is remember from where you came, remember what God has saved you out of, and remember who He is. Remember the greatness of God, the mercies of God. We forget. The best analogy I've ever heard of that in my life is we have lots of faith in the rearview mirror, but we have very little faith in the front windscreen. And what that means is, is everyone in here, if you're a Christian, can look back across your life and you had terribly difficult times, but now you can look at it and you can see exactly what God was doing, how He was putting those pieces in place. There have been jobs that I, I was let go from. There have been Girls as a teenager that I prayed and prayed that God would let me, me marry them. And I look at them in their lives now and I say, thank you, Jesus, that you protected me from that. And you know what? There's probably some people who, well, I don't think anybody ever prayed that they could date me. But there are people that have said, thank, thank you that he didn't marry me. So it, it, it all goes around. But we can see if we look back across their life how God takes care of us. When Ann and I and the kids, I was sharing this story today in staff meeting. We're talking about some financial issues that are going on with, with the church. And I, I shared this story that um, when Ann and I and the kids came back from Turkey, um, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a house. We didn't have, uh, we didn't, we didn't have anything. We each had a suitcase uh, that we could bring back. And um, I, I remember a couple of times Ann saying, you know, how, how are we going to buy a house? How are we, we have no equity. We have nothing. Uh, we, we had literally lost everything. We were, we were desperate. We were staying in a borrowed house. Stowers Hill Baptist Church let us stay in their parsonage. And so all the furniture in there was theirs. All the stuff was theirs. We, we, just, we didn't have anything. Um, about two weeks after we got back from Turkey, we had the opportunity to go with Goodyear Heights Baptist to Dallas to help Kika on a mission trip. And Liz, Ruthie was five Five-ish, Ann and I were debating, I think four or five. And we had some toys that that church had sent up to Dallas for us to give to the refugee kids. And Ruthie, being a little kid, you know, she's digging in the toys. And I I said, Ruthie, come here. And she came over and I said, honey, those are toys that this church has collected to give to little children who don't have any toys. And she looked at me and said, I don't have any toys. And I, as a father felt like such a failure because I had not even thought about the fact that these kids had walked away from everything that they had. And so that, that was just four and a half years ago. And yet now, God, every need that we've had, God's provided for. Pressed down, overflowing. We had an argument this week about getting rid of some junk out of the garage. Why are we keeping this stuff? Nobody's going to rollerblade ever again. Get rid of it. God's provided. God doesn't leave his people for want. 
And he's done that in my life over and over and over and over again. He's taken care of me. He's provided for me. I'm not saying that it's all worked out and that I ended up with a new truck and a pony every time. But what I'm saying is is that God has always been faithful, always been firm and sure. And if I know that in the past, why is it when I come up to the precipice today, I wring my hands God took care of those things, but maybe he can't take care of this one. No, that's silly. We look back and we see God's salvation, but when we look forward, we doubt it. So remember what God's done in your life. How often he's been faithful. How often he's taken care of you. Jesus told his disciples, How many of you, if your child asks for something, you being evil, I love that Jesus threw that in. You people being evil know how to give your kids kids good gifts. How much more does your Father in heaven know how to give you what you need? So don't worry about anything. God's got this. And so we remember that our salvation comes not from our faithfulness, not from the fact that we figure things out, but it comes from God. That helmet is not a helmet of our design. That helmet of salvation is the armor of God. And you can be assured, you can know that He is faithful. And He will do exactly what He said He would do. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us for how often we forget your faithfulness. How often we wring our hands and worry over medical issues, over financial issues, over relationship problems. Lord, help us to remember that you are faithful. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Protect our brains. Protect our thoughts. Help us to be faithfully putting on the helmet of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.